Well, I want to say hello to everyone here and those of you joining us at home. Uh, welcome. Today we're wrapping up a series um, that we have just called One Hope. And I want to just begin by telling you about uh, a day uh, a few months ago when I had dropped my, it was the first week of school, I dropped my kids off at school uh, in person. And um, we, I came to my office and I thought, I am just going to check what's, you know, scroll the media, check what's going on before my first meeting. And so I, I go and I look, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Have you had these moments, right, lately? Um, you know, all the headlines, all the social media chatter, all the news um, was prominently talking about um, another black body that had been shot by a police officer. This time his name was Jacob Blake. And I think the story um, captured everybody's attention, but it was near my hometown. Uh, that was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I grew up in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And so, you know, I, I know people um, in that area. And so in the days to come, I, you know, I, but, but in, that mo in that moment, here's what happened. I see the, I see the headlines. And, um, and I, I just am like overtaken with this wave of grief. I've, I just feel like swallowed up in the how can this be and what is the story and oh my goodness this complexity of our world and the toxicity of everything that is about to transpire um, related to that story and so over the next day you know I kind of start to write in my journal thinking like I'm gonna you know maybe write something and share it with the church or, you know, post it on social media or whatever. So I write a few things, then I cancel them. I write a few things, cancel them. Um, what I really am wanting to do in that moment is just, like, sit with the grief. To sit and to be present to the grief and the loss, um, to the thought of, oh, my goodness, law enforcement officers have such a difficult job. Oh my goodness, his children were in the car watching this happen. I mean, I just kind of want to sit with that grief and loss and just be in it. It is um, sort of doubly intensified by the toxic sort of um, intensifying public discourse that happens in the wake of an event like that. It's this feeling in me of just like, how can this be? And oh, the deep divides in our world today. You know, at the same time as I'm feeling that, I have this sort of like tugging in my heart, this like inner conversation um, that goes like this. Um, Susie, you, you're a very, very, very minor, but nonetheless, um, you know, public voice. <laughs> so what are people going to think if you don't say anything? And then at the same time, but, like, what are people going to think if you do say something? So I have this, like, desire to sit in the grief and the loss. And I'm like, but you got to say something. But, no, what if you don't say anything? What if you do say something? You know, on that very day, on that Monday when I was learning about that news, I chose to stay present to the sense of grief and loss. Um, I wrote a prayer that I shared the following Sunday in service. 
Um, but as the week went on, and kind of the media channels feel more and more overwhelming to me. I hear from friends in the Milwaukee and Kenosha area who are in ministry, who are you know, saying that uh, now riots are beginning and now some peaceful prayer protests are beginning and all these different dynamics. I'm thinking, here we are again, right? I'm thinking about Breonna Taylor. I'm thinking about George Floyd. I'm thinking about Jacob Blake. I'm thinking about these stories. And the weight of that grief and that loss and that storm of toxicity, it feels so overwhelming to me that like in those days following, I'm like, that's it, I'm done with media. I'm totally done with media. Uh, I, you know, I watched The Social Dilemma at some point later and I'm like, now I'm for sure done with media. <laughs> delete all my social media apps, delete my news apps, you know, and then like a week later, I'm like, well, maybe I'll just do that for like the week or the month or maybe till the end of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> many of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you can relate. And then, of course, there's this other rub. For me, as a white person, I know, you know, I will be okay no matter the outcome of that story, no matter the results of any of the decisions that are reached in the deaths of unarmed black people. I, I might not like the results, but I will be okay. But I am coming to learn, like for people of color, it's a very different story that these decisions have very real impact on their lives and the lives of their children. And then as someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, I want to stand in solidarity with those pushed to the margins of our world. Like I can't just check out in sort of like a gleeful, happy, peaceful state of ignorance when Jesus calls me to stand with those who are hurting. And so, here's my dilemma in a moment like that. What does it look like as a follower of God in the way of Jesus to stand in solidarity with folks who are hurting, all sorts of folks who are hurting for all sorts of different reasons? What does it look like to stand in solidarity with the most vulnerable? And at the same time, to avoid two pendulum swings. One, I am so consumed by the story that I am in despair. I don't want to be there. The other is I am basically so disconnected, I can no longer speak as a credible voice for the marginalized. When I was working with Food for the Hungry years ago, like in my late 20s, I'd go around and speak to these different churches, and my favorite verse in scripture we'd you know, talk about a lot was you know, about um, speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves, defending the rights of the poor and the needy, right? So if I'm so disconnected, just like, ah, oh, whatever, I've cut off myself from all sources of information because it's uncomfortable for me, I cannot be a credible voice for the marginalized. So what does it look like to stand in solidarity without swinging to despair or swinging to total disconnection? Many of the great contemplative Christian voices from ages past have a word for what I think is a bit of a path for us in avoiding these two despair or disconnection in our world related to matters of pain and sorrow and complexity. And the, the thing they talk about is called internal freedom, interior 
freedom. It actually is spoken by many different people in many different ways. It's gone by many different names in the history of Christian spirituality. Lots of different desert fathers and mothers spoke of this idea. Early Christian monks called it apathia. Ignatius of Loyola and his companions of Jesus called it indifference. St. Teresa of Avila called it detachment. But more recently, contemplatives have called it interior freedom. I think this is an invitation for you and I to walk a path that avoids despair on one hand and detachment on the other. It's a peaceful place of non-reactivity. It's a place where you are so united with the will of God, which is evidenced in self-sacrificing love. You're so united with the will of God that you really are able to accept whatever comes because you know that whatever comes, it will only further open you up, open your heart up, open your mind up, open your soul up to the love and grace of God. It's kind of the heart behind the serenity prayer. When we say, Lord, help me to accept the things I cannot change, right? Help me to change the things I can. Help me to have the wisdom to know the difference. This is interior freedom. Now, Susan just read this passage for us. Notice the inner freedom that Jesus expresses as he talks with his disciples about his impending death. Jesus said these words, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. Who says the scriptures are not relevant, right? <laughs> but Jesus is talking about his, to his disciples about his impending death in this passage. Each to your own home. You will leave me alone, Christ says, yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. And I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is facing death, and he's saying, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. Why? For the Father is with me. There is an internal attachment with the Father that is so strong for Jesus that though his disciples will leave him, he knows he will not be alone. Like whatever may come, that attachment is so strong. It's an inner freedom or an indifference or a detachment that's made possible because attachments to other things, things like security, things like comfort, things like wealth and wealth and recognition and control and power, all of those attachments have like, they've been severed by the love of the Father. So the internal attachments to other things have been so severed by the Father's love. Jesus and the Father are one, and this is Jesus' one hope. The need for other people to stay right there with him has been severed 
His attachment is to God's will and God's will alone. And it's expressed then in self-sacrificing love. That attachment to God, when you're talking about interior freedom or this idea, it's like that attachment to God is so strong. It's all I want. It's all I need. All the other things have been severed by God's love. So we no longer are reacting when life happens. We're free. We're free enough from all those other internal attachments to respond in love no matter what, no matter what may come. No matter what may come, we are free to respond in love. And this, so, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the word freedom, when you're talking about inner freedom, this is not like freedom to do whatever I want. Okay, sometimes we think of the word freedom and we're like, oh yeah, free to do whatever I want. No, we're talking about an inner freedom that's not about doing whatever I want. It's about a freedom to love without a big internal debate happening. I'm not weighing all these other attachments. I am so severed of those other attachments. I am so one with the will of the Father expressed in self-sacrifice and love that like there's no big internal debate. It's just like, what does love look like right now? And I am free to choose that. That's interior freedom. Not freedom to do whatever I want, but interior freedom that's so tied to the will of the Father that it's not a debate to love. What does love look like right now? That is what I do. Evagrius, uh, who was an early Christian monk, says that the fruit of a life the fruit of a life that has cultivated this interior freedom is always love. The fruit of a life that's cultivated interior freedom is love. See, when freedom is present in our lives, love will always be present. Because there's nothing else competing for my allegiance. My only attachment is to the will of God. So let's just, like, get really practical for a minute. Like, let's say this week you are either, you know, with some family members sitting around the Thanksgiving table, or you decide to Zoom with some family members for Thanksgiving, and um, some family member just starts spouting off to you about their views of the pandemic. And their views of the pandemic are different than your views of the pandemic. If you have cultivated interior freedom in that moment as they're spouting off and you're thinking, whew, that sounds crazy to me. I don't see it that way at all. You have already allowed your need to be right, your need to be heard, your need to prove your points. That's already been severed by the love of God. So as this person is talking, you are free to show love, to listen, to maybe learn. When you speak, to speak only love. Because all those other needs to be right, to be heard, to make your point, to uh, prove you're smarter, whatever those other attachments have may be, they've been severed. They've been severed by the love of God. And you have interior freedom to love no matter what may come your way. This is absolutely a talk we're going to just chalk up under the category of aspirational preaching in my own life. (laughs) Uh, One of my many internal attachments is like 
just my wrestling with like, oh, but what will others think? It is uh, my own attachment to others' opinions of me. Tim does not really have this problem. <laughs> but for me, I have this problem. As I wrestle, you know, with whether, like, should I show up, talk about this, not talk about this, mention this, not mention this, I will get caught sometimes between, um, oh, but what will these people think? And then what will these people think? What will these friends of mine think? What will these friends of mine think? Now, the, in the invitation to interior freedom for me is an invitation to be in a place where God's love for me has just severed that attachment to other people's opinions. It's just like, it has just cut that down. Like, I can simply respond to God's desires for me. I can simply respond in love. Doing what is loving with no fear of what others might think. And interior freedom, is, it's not really something that uh, we will to, like, make it happen. It's more something that is received than achieved. It is more something that as we allow God's love to flood and fill our lives, as we keep our face in God's face, as that attachment to God becomes stronger and stronger, over time it severs these other attachments in our lives. It's something that can only happen as we receive the love and grace of God that's made manifest in Jesus, that is made present by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's probably safe to say nobody's doing all that well right now. It's, it's not a competition, but everyone is struggling in different ways right now. And I know sometimes, you know, you, you might find yourself saying, well, gosh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not struggling like that person I read about in the media or that friend of mine or that family. I'm not struggling that bad. But everybody's having different waves, right? And it's not a competition as to who's struggling more. But here's the thing. You can be having a hard time, even if it's not as hard as somebody else's hard time, and the invitation that this cultural moment is to us is this huge invitation to new experiences of inner freedom. Inner freedom and love. Because God's love does not just come to us in the good <laughs> things that we think are good in life. God's love comes to us especially through the bad things, the things that we think are bad. Sometimes we're so busy trying to like avoid or endure or escape a situation when actually God is coming for us in the midst of that very difficulty. He's actually wanting to sever an attachment in me so that I might be more wholly attached to only him. He's actually coming for me in the midst of that very difficulty, that very situation that I want to get out of, that's angsty to me, that I want to get through, that I want to endure, that I wish would go away. 
God very often is coming to you and I disguised as life, whatever your life is. God's coming to you. He's coming for you in the very midst of that. Everything's actually spiritual if we have eyes to see it. Sometimes I'm so busy trying to get out of that, resolve that, move on from that, endure that, that I miss that it is that very difficulty where God's coming for me, for all of me. How might I receive God's love so that those very attachments might be severed and my one hope might be in Christ alone, that that might be strengthened? And so no matter what we face in the months ahead, which could be bleak, we can make it our practice to say, how is this moment exposing me? What is it exposing in me? What attachments inside of me are being revealed through this, through this difficulty? Because when our inner attachments are severed and replaced by God's love, we are able to find Jesus among the hurting and the marginalized in the world. And then we can just like freely and joyfully join him there. So we're free, like, okay, if you find yourself kind of a conservative person, you're free to say black lives absolutely matter. You find yourself as a progressive person. You are free to also say, like, law enforcement have a very difficult job, right? You're free to love. And you don't have to be bound by these sort of, like, partisan ideas and camps. Because your one attachment, your strongest attachment, your growing attachment is to God and God alone. And that's going to keep you from despair because God's love is, love is so deep. And it's going to keep you from detachment because you know that going to the places, the hard places where people are hurting is where Jesus is. And you want to go where he goes. You want to go where he is. Theologian. Jürgen Moltmann said it like this. He said this, It is only the person who knows that he is accepted who can accept others without dominating them. The person who's become free in himself can liberate others and share their sufferings. Whatever difficulty you're facing... You're not facing it alone. Remember, Jesus is facing his greatest moment of difficulty. And he's like, though you may all leave, I'm not alone. Because the Father and I are one. The Father is with me. So he's facing his greatest difficulty, but he's not facing it alone. And he's free to do the will of the Father. No fear of what others will think. The will of the Father that's evidenced in self-sacrificing love. So remember whatever difficulty we face, whatever difficulty you face, whether that is at home or at work or in your mind or in the world, you're not facing it alone. 
and that difficulty or that place of tension in your life, that is the very place where God is coming for you. Inviting you to a space of interior freedom where his love just, it's just taken over all the other attachments until your one and only desire is for his will. You know, just because something is hard does not mean it doesn't belong. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it doesn't belong. And my encouragement for us as we face this moment and the complexities in our world is to pay attention. Notice where God's love is moving towards you in unexpected places. Interior freedom can keep you and I from despair, and it can keep us from aloof detachment, because Jesus' love and presence will guard against despair. We're so held in his love. And his love and presence will keep us from that state of sort of like sweet ignorance, (laughs) because we know God is very often with the marginalized, with the hurting, with the vulnerable, and we so want God that we want to go where God is. It's not a duty or an obligation so much that is motivating my desire to get involved in the pain in the world. It is my one hope. It's my one desire I just want to be wherever God is. And if God is there, I want to be there. That's where I want to be. That is what freedom looks like. That is what love with no big internal debate looks like. It's interior freedom. It's rooted in God's love. It can wholeheartedly take us there. So, may it be so in us. Let's pray together. Well, God, we say once again that you are good. It is your love that endures forever and ever. And there are so many ways that we confess we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have thought too highly of ourselves. God, you know our hearts and you know all these other attachments that get in the way of an interior freedom to just love as you would lead us to love. So we repent of that. We lay that down once again. As we come to your table of communion, we remember that when you died, And when you rose again, you threw wide open the gates of heaven so that any and all who might want to follow you could come. And we come again for nourishment, to be fed. We pray that you would strengthen us here. We pray that you would give us a vision for your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives and in our world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray.